oh, Jamie, I don't, I don't feel very well. Let's get started. Let's go. Spectrum is green. The Jerry Anderson Podcast with Jamie Anderson, Richard James and Chris Dale. Two hundred and seventy whole pods. Well, well at you, the end of this one. Uh, yeah, exactly. You knew it was coming, though. It was always going to end like this. Not that it's ending, because we're back next week. No, but the, if, of this, the two sixties end with yes, two seventy. Yeah. So this is very much. I think the first season of the Jerry Anderson podcast ends with pod two seventy. Okay. So we have to end on a season finale. Bit of a cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. Okay. Okay. And then season two starts with two seven one. We'll see what we can build in. Anyway. Yes. Uh, you're Richard James. Yes, that's no cliffhanger. Everyone knows that. You're Jamie Anderson. Boring. Everybody all knows that. But yep. also, sitting over there... There he is. Chris Dale. Yeah. Hi, Chris. Hi, Chris. Hi, guys. Yeah. Why is he here again? He just sort of sleeps on the sofa. No, you meant to mention the randomizer. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. It's because he does the randomizer. I see. Because he's the randomizer general, and he's got a machine, the randomizer, which has got preloaded onto it all the episodes of every Jerry Anderson show, every film. Every Jerry Anderson and show. Our, yeah, mm. and our fantastic guests each week press the button <gasps> and randomly select a random episode and Chris watches it and says stuff. I see. It's a brilliant concept. I see. It's, it's an amazing concept. Very clever. And it's just run and run. It's, I know. It's, it's outlasted its usefulness, it, really. No, no, no. It's got a life of its own. It's got uh, its own podcast. I, sorry, I was building that into the cliffhanger. Oh. Will the randomizer survive? Oh, I see. Right. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yes. Who, who knows? <laughs> Maybe not. Does he sleep on the sofa? Yes. <laughs> oh, I see. I have no idea. That's why he's here all the time. I see. Uh, yeah. In the same clothes, weirdly. <laughs> yes, that's true. Sort week of, in, week like out. Like his PJs. Yeah. Anyway, yes. uh, every week we're here with the randomizer and lots yep. of other things. Yes. Including. Yes. Fab facts. Right. The favourite thing oh, in Richard's saying it. life. I said it once. It's literally, you and, know. And, and then I was coerced into saying it, really. No, you weren't. Bear in mind, he's got wife, two kids. Favourite thing in his life. Fab facts. Amazing. Uh, Jerry Anson News. Right. I'll go over to me in another location. Yeah, it's all about you. Glasses yes. Uh, voice of the Podsterons. Yes, which is? Where the Podsterons have written in. They could have emailed us or commented on YouTube videos or written in the Podsterons Facebook group. Facebook.com slash group slash Podsterons. Yep, true. Or sent a carrier pigeon or smoke signal or yes. something else. Yes, uh, And we'd love to read those and, yes. and, and hear from them and answer their questions. We do, yes. We and try. then we've got a new guest. Shall I tell you about this week's guest? Mm. Or should we save yeah. it? Maybe that could be the cliffhanger. Oh, oh, no, because no, that's be at the end. We'll, we'll know. know by then. What could be the cliffhanger at the end? We'll have to think about that. Okay. Yeah. Who's the guest? Oh, it's Roland Moore. Okay, good. Roland Moore is a scriptwriter yes. for TV and also Big Finish Audios and uh, film. And uh, he's also written some books based on one of his uh, TV shows, Land Girls. But to, oh. to we Jerry Anderson sorts, we might know him as a writer of um, Death's Other Dominion. Space 1999. The big finish. Very good. Uh, and an absolute Jerry Anderson fan. So I had a really lovely chat with him, uh, the first part of which you will see in like 20 minutes. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Hey! You're you like building that? in a bit of peril there. I'm trying. Yeah, that's good. I like it. Okay, great. Because that feels like something big is going to happen by the end of this podcast. Okay. 
I wonder what they could be. I've got some more ideas. Great. So uh, while we wait for those ideas to yes. come, yes. how about we have what could be the last ever <laughs> Fab Facts? Oh, oh, let's hope so. Now, time for this week's Fab Facts. Now, the key thing there was that I said could be. Yeah, um, Obviously, it isn't. No, of course not. It's a permanent fixture, yeah, yeah, but, but just that little, little moment of, yeah, yeah, you know. Building ooh. towards the end-of-season cliffhanger yeah. at the end of 270. Yes, but we've basically said that this is definitely... Yeah, coming back. Because I went to all that effort of making... I mean... The, the book, I mean, yeah. So I've got a book of... Genuine book of fab facts here. Yep. <clears throat> and uh, I'm going to flick through it. Richard Chow's fab at a random point that stops me yeah. flicking and hopefully upon the page we happen upon a fab fact. I mean, it usually stops you flicking. Sometimes you tend to flick on. Well... <laughs> no, <laughs> I almost, don't say it. No, I won't. Uh, are you ready with your fab? I am. I'm ready with my, with my thumb. So here we go. Fab! There you go, see? You stopped. I stopped exactly where... Did you? Where, <laughs> where you said. It's rigged, isn't it? It's not rigged. Oh, I just realised. Look. I've been a fool. As you will recall... Yes. This is a meta-fab fact now, OK? <laughs> is it? So, in a previous fab fact, in this very esteemed tome... It is. A tome. We, we referred to the missing... Missing yes. Dick Spanner publicity stunt in which the supposed kidnap of Dick Spanner was timed to raise interest in the Pickwick DVD release of the series. Remember? I, yes, I do. So the Fab Facts book seems to know that we had that fab. Very fact smart, isn't it? This, yeah, it's a smart book. I had no idea. Yes. Well, uh, according to Chris Signor. Yes. That, am, I, am I saying that right? Because I'm, I'm terrified. I, don't, of I didn't write it. It's a fact. Yeah, but you might facts. know these things. Yeah. Anyway, Chris, uh, Chris yeah. is a well-known Jerry Anderson fan, yeah. uh, a listener and a viewer of the podcast too. Thank you, Chris. A similar thing happened a few years later. What? Yes. <laughs> this is not. <laughs> you just having a conversation with yourself. <laughs> I, now. Apparently, Does I, that mean I can leave while no, you do no, this. No, no, please stay. Oh, okay. uh, this was not the last time that a character from a Jerry Anderson series had been kidnapped for publicity purposes. Right. Okay. Go on. <laughs> Between 2001 and 2004, Thunderbirds was repeated on Cartoon Network in the UK. Was it? But how, yes, but how they led up to it was rather interesting. Ooh. Oh, indeed. <laughs> now, now you've got, you piqued my interest. I thought I might have done. At about the same time, Cartoon Network would regularly repeat The Flintstones. Ooh. I love Flintstones, yes. Mm. But one evening, viewers were surprised when instead of The Flintstones, they started airing The Pink Panther oh, instead. another classic. Because as they admitted on air... Fred Flintstone hasn't turned up for work. <laughs> That's Crazy. A rubbish excuse, isn't it? <laughs> it is a bit, yes. From there began a series of TV bumpers during the 6 to 7 p.m. slot in the style of a cartoon news report right. covering the whereabouts and the search for Fred, Fred Flintstone, who had yeah. turned up for work, yeah. Yes. This went on for about a week or so until the news reports were interrupted by an unknown transmission. Yes. Which was from none other than The Hood. Right. <laughs> Who declared that he was holding Fred Flintstone for ransom what? in exchange for the world. <laughs> right, OK. That would work. That's pretty reasonable. Fair swap. So uh, the news reports then broadcast live coverage, i.e. stop footage. I.e. not live. Yep. Yeah. Uh, of international rescue going after the hood to save Fred Flintstone. <laughs> Lovely. In, in gratitude, <laughs> the Cartoon, ne Cartoon Network then agreed to air episodes of Thunderbirds as part of their TV schedule. Makes perfect sense. What a deal. <laughs> right. For many viewers, this was about the wildest way to promote a Jerry Anderson show on a satellite <laughs> service, and it's perhaps no wonder that it is stuck in Chris's memory, and many others, I'm sure. Quite understand, yes. He even went to the trouble of recording them for posterity, uh -huh. so that we could all enjoy this rather unique Thunderbirds-Flintstones crossover. But alas... Let's see them, let's see them. Alas... What? 
Chris. Yes. He doesn't know where that VHS tape oh, currently is. Curses! It's been kidnapped. <laughs> it has. Maybe that's part of the pre-publicity for a new series of... Um... Off the new broadcast of Thunderbirds on Talking Pictures Television. Or oh, for series two of the podcast that begins with pod two seven one. Oh, it could be a tease. Yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, anyway, whether whether Dad was actually aware of the publicity campaign or not is unknown. Yeah. Uh, but it's pretty imaginative. Yes. Pretty original. Yes. It'd be nice to think that he at least heard of it, yeah. maybe approved of it. You but, think? Uh, yeah. If so, yes. and he had approved of this campaign, yes. perhaps he might have exclaimed... Yes. Fabadabadoo! <laughs> Perhaps he might. He, he, I can tell you what, one thing he absolutely would not have exclaimed that. <laughs> really? No. No, not even in jest? No. No, okay. Not, yeah. not even in jest. No, right. Ah, interesting. I love that. That's a nice, I mean, this whole, the, the Jeopardy thing, to it entice people to watch your new series. Yeah. It's quite nice, kidnapping yes. the main character. Yes. I like that. Speaking of which. What? Where's, where's Chris, Chris Dale? He's vanished. Oh, no. <laughs> Let's hope he's back in time for the randomizer. Well, what if he isn't? Well, there'll be no randomizer. Oh, I see what you're doing. That's our cliffhanger. <gasps> I see. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Have you got something in your eye? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's it's a little, little, yeah. Anyway. Uh, nice, yeah. Yeah. I that is that. actually quite cool. I yeah. like that idea. Yeah. Very creative. Exactly. If you're the marketing person that came up with that idea for Cartoon Network, do email us podcastjerryanson.com with the subject line, Fabadabadoo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, good. Please. Look forward to seeing I'm that. looking forward to seeing that email. That'd be amazing. <laughs> anyway, I think yes. that probably yes. brings us yes. very slowly Go and on. awkwardly. I'm not really sure where we're going with this, but this is the end of this week's Kidnapped Fact. <laughs> What's the matter with you? I would have thought that was obvious. Kidnapped Fact, yeah. Had to be. Had to be. Yeah. What do we do for the Dick Spanner one then? Dick Spanner? Yeah. Uh, it was uh, the model went missing. Yes, I know that, but what do we, sh- oh, what do we exclaim at the end? Kidnapped facts, probably. Yeah, see, I don't want to repeat myself. Anyway, let's move on. Mm, we do every other week, in many other ways. Talking of Chris Dale, look, I've got a thing here on the table yes. that I wanted to share with you that he found oh. in a charity shop. What, what a lovely thing. Yes, now, quite apart from the fact that it's Joe 90, look, it's a little r- reel, a spool of film. That's of, very cute, uh, isn't it? I mean, it just says Jerry Anderson's Joe 90, and no more than that, from Arrow Films. Wow. Attack and Destroy, black and white silent version. Yeah. Just a minute, a black and white silent version, what would be the merit in watching that? Well, it was the only way to watch it at home. And then you d- didn't have to listen to Joe doing his, oh, Uncle Sam. <laughs> so, that's a rather lovely thing, though, isn't lovely, it? lovely, yeah. So that's a, a nice little special and Now that lives in the podcast studio where we don't have an 8mm projector. Yeah. So we just have to look at the box. Nice box, though. It's a lovely box. There you go. <laughs> uh, now... That was a piece of news I just in, inserted there. Yes. Because we hadn't heard of that before. Um, I'm thinking maybe we could insert some more news about other stuff that's happening, but like now, mm. like in the Jerry Anderson universe. And to do that, we'd have to cut away to an unknown secret location. Oh, yes, with an unknown secret reporter. Yes. Who we've seen before. Wearing a disguise. A pair of glasses. Mm. Shall we? Let's do that. It's the Jerry Anderson news. Hello, Anderson aficionados. Jamie Anderson here with another instalment of the most exciting Jerry Anderson news straight from the source. Let's jump right in. First up, after some teething troubles, our international shipping is now in full thrust, and it's been heartening to see so many of you from all over the world taking advantage. Remember, free shipping is now on offer for most baskets over about $70 in most countries. If you've had a wish list building up, there's never been a better time to check out. 
for all our Joe 90 enthusiasts, we've got some thrilling news. Project 90, the technical operations manual, will start rolling out for our pre-order patrons in the next day or two. But don't hesitate, the first print run is limited and it's uncertain right now if there'll be a repeat. So dive into the world of World Intelligence Network while you can. Our YouTube channel continues to be a treasure trove for fans. Now available, a special Terrorhawks compilation movie, a project that unfortunately was halted due to the untimely closure of network distributing earlier this year. But fret not, you can now relish this creation at no cost. Plus, immerse yourself in nostalgia with an archive interview snippet where Thunderbirds director Alan Patillo delves into the filming of those iconic launch sequences. On a sombre note, it's with a heavy heart that we share the recent news of Big Chief Studios' liquidation. A truly unfortunate event for their team and for their customers too. However, I'd like to assure all fans that Anton Entertainment remains committed to delivering those highly anticipated retro action figures. Stay tuned right here for more details on that front in the coming days and weeks. For Space 1999 model enthusiasts, well, some kits are here thanks to our partners at Round 2. They only just landed, but they're disappearing faster than a Moonbase Eagle during a magnetic storm, so be sure to secure yours quickly. Attention for all TikTok enthusiasts, we've got some stellar live streams headed your way this week, hosted by none other than the wonderful Willow, a familiar face to many of you from the Podstrons Facebook group, the Potter's Arms, and many live events too. Be sure to tune in for the first session this Tuesday night. Lastly, as a special treat leading up to the Blu-ray release of Space Patrol next week, We'll be airing a complete episode this coming Saturday on YouTube. So, while not strictly an Anderson original, you can indulge in this classic puppet series on us. Do drop us a comment and share your thoughts. Well, that wraps up this week's news. I'm Jamie Anderson signing off and reminding you to always stand by for action. Back to Richard and Jamie in the studio. I'm not going to sing this week. Oh. Well, I've sung for a couple of weeks. I think it's time, you know... It's always good give to you, keep a little bit in reserve. Give yourself a little rest. Yes, keep yeah. them wanting more, that's what I say. Shortly, we've got the first part of our interview with Roland Moore. Ah, uh, Screenwriter, Big Finish writer, author, lecturer as pizza well. Pizza eater. Pizza eater, as we mm. discovered. Uh, that's right, over lunch. Nice lunch, actually. Yeah. I had a Hawaiian, which uh, was a bit controversial. Yeah. Pineapple on pizza. Oh, let's not get into that. <laughs> right. Um, but before that, I think it's time that we did what we always do at about this time in the podcast. We... Let in a nice cool draft. Oh. And let it wash over us. Yes. As we listen to the voice of the Podstrons. This is the voice of the Podstrons. It's just soothing but spooky, isn't it? <laughs> Spoothing? Anyway. Smooky. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Lovely, smooky stuff. Uh, now, I think that yes. this is very much an email that you should read. I th- no, I think you should read this. I'm pretty certain <laughs> this, was, to, this I, was addressed to no, you. No, but I specifically put it first because I want you to write it. But it says it. to whom it may concern, Which and that's is you. normally you. No, I think it concerns you. <sighs> Off you go. This is from Michael House in Tokyo. Hello, Michael uh, House. So if you've been listening to previous pods, you probably know where we're going with this yep. and why I'm dreading this email. To whom it may concern, as you were requested, however, however facetiously, Michael, it was facetiously, oh. but this hasn't stopped you. Here are my comments on the pronunciations... On the pronunciations... <laughs> Good start. ...in pod 267. Yep. First, Richard... Yes, hello. ...nearly oh. got... S... Well... Escaflone, right? Yeah. As I think I mentioned previously, there are no silent vowels God. in Japanese, hence escaflone. escaflone. 
Yeah. Uh, but it was a reasonable approximation. Yeah, so thank well you. Done. Thank you. I, guess I did try. Sort of a B minus. He's giving oh, you there. I'm happy with a B minus. Second, hmm. Jamie's pronunciation of Pat Labor. I remember it well. Was essentially uh, yes. accurate. Oh. It's a malformed contraction of patrol and labour. It hinges on the fact that Japanese doesn't have a distinct L and R sound, unlike English and some other languages. Yes. Rather, it has a single sound that is somewhere in between the two. Right. Somewhat similar to the rolled R of Spanish. That is pressed casually into service interchangeably as either of these, yes. or, as in this instance, both simultaneously. Oh, right. Pat Labor will suffice. Pat Hope this helps at least a little. Um, Feel free to send further questions or comments. I think, Michael... Well, really? I don't know. That's good. I think everything's answered there. <laughs> you think you're happy with that? Completely, yeah. Go no further with that one. Yeah, that's Pro good. Pronunciation gate is over. <laughs> okay, well, we can all rest easy now. Uh, greetings and slash or felicitations, says Chris Yost. I'll go for and. Over the 4th of July weekend, I attended Anthrocon in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the world's largest furry convention, where I work on the art show staff. Oh. Uh, are you familiar with furries, the furry I, phenomenon? I am, yes. It's people essentially dressing as animals, I think. Yes, that's right. pretty much. Uh, staffers have access to a luxury suite in the attached hotel to take a break, grab a snack, sit and chat. And after the con on Saturday, I was sitting in the suite alone with the art show director and four others, chit-chatting. When someone came along and I got an opening to mention the Jerry Anderson podcast probably mentioning it was going to be on the following Monday. Good work. Yeah. From there, the topic of Fireball XL5 came up. The art show director and one other remembered the show, hmm. which led us to singing the beginning to I Wish I Was a Spaceman. Perfect. Uh, which was fun until they began to fade out because they couldn't remember the words mm. despite my prompting them to keep going. That does happen a lot. Yeah. Outspreading the word, my brothers. Just thought you might like to know. Best as always. Chris Yost. Thank you, Chris. It's good, really isn't it? That is good. Two new recruits there. Absolutely. Isn't that brilliant? And the great thing is, of course, we're international. So even they in Pennsylvania could have gone online to their search engine of choice, <laughs> used their fingers to type Jerry Anderson podcast into the search bar, hit return, and be presented by a list, probably at the top of which would have been a link that they could have followed to listen to the Jerry Anderson podcast. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, they probably did exactly that. That's yeah. right. They so could be nice. watching it now. Oh. They could be doing this now probably regretting and then just thinking God, was, this was a big mistake uh, yeah okay let's move on I think we should uh, <clears throat> I've got one from Trevor oh yeah Trevor says hi guys hi Trevor I enjoy the podcast although there are so many of them that I don't think I've heard them all oh however I do have a question that I hope you may be able to answer right do you think we can well I bet we can but I can I bet I can you think you can okay yeah. Basically, says Trevor, there is an urban legend that the 2009 movie, Moon, yes. utilises some of the surviving miniature sets from either Space 1999 or UFO. Also, according to IMDb, the shadow moon-based computer also turns up in the comedy film Carry On Loving from 1970. Would you know if this was true, and would you know if any other sets or props have turned up in other feature films or TV series? Thanks from Trevor. Ah. So do you know this? Can you answer Trevor's... A burning question? No. Brilliant. Well, that's well. C can done. you? Can you answer? Uh, so the UFO computers turn up in all sorts of places, including Doctor Who. Oh, yes. And they were rented out by various set places. And yes. Obviously, there's miniatures that cross over. There's a, a Joe 90 thing which turns up in. Is it City of Death? Is it? Okay. I think. Right. 
Someone's going to correct me there. Yeah. So, yes, there's lots of crossover. The moon thing... I mean, that sounds plausible. It's possible. I mean, uh, Bill Bill Pearson, the late Bill Pearson, yeah. uh, worked with Duncan Jones on yeah. that, sure. right? director, yeah. So it's quite possible. Yes. Um, but I'm not sure. If and actually, can... it's the sort of thing Duncan Jones would like as well. Son of David Bowie, famously, yes. and yeah. film director in his own right and so on, but yes, very much loves so. all that stuff. Yeah, so it's possible. Mm. Um, but if anybody's got the answer, email us, podcast at jerryanson.com. Yeah, great. Uh, yeah. Is that it? That's it. That was my last one. That's it. But there'll be more next week because you can bet your bottom dollar that the Podstrons will keep emailing us at podcast.jerryanderson.com, which means I or you will read them out in the next podcast. Looking forward to it already. Yeah, that's great. Something else I'm looking forward to mm. is the first part of my interview with Roland Moore. How come you're doing so many interviews right now? Is it just to give me a break? Give, yeah, just a little bit of time. You're off. so thoughtful. Yeah, Thank nice. you. I really do appreciate that. Uh, shall we um, go and see what he has to say for himself? I would love nothing more than a bit of Roland Moore. This week's guest is a writer with a list of credits as long as your arm, from sketch comedy like Smack the Pony to children's series such as Rastamouse and Peter Rabbit, via Doctors and creating and writing for the popular BBC series Land Girls. Oh, and he's only written some Doctor Who in Space 1999 for Big Finish and Anderson Entertainment. It's Roland Moore! Welcome, Roland. How lovely to see you. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Well, thanks for joining us on the Jerry Anderson podcast. Uh, welcome to Slough. Yes, I think it's my first time. <laughs> Is it going to be your last? No, I'm going to definitely come back. Yeah. <laughs> Jerry Anderson Next country, week. of course. That's yes. why we're here uh, at the lovely Moxie Hotel. So thanks to them again for their wonderful Thunderbirds-themed uh, hotel and for inviting us to use this room. Uh, now, novelist, screenwriter, lecturer even, mm -hmm. so many strings to your bow. Um, so why is that? Do, do, is it through necessity or do you just like to keep busy or are you a bit of a, a magpie taking yeah. whatever takes your fancy? Um, I love the challenge of new work. So, you know, I, I love nothing more than having to do a new sort of script or oh. a, a new book or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so it's that need to sort of keep busy and just sort of challenge myself with new things. Uh -huh. um, so I, I think I've written most genres now. Right. Um, the one I struggle with is perhaps rom-com. I, I don't find that as easy. But, um, <laughs> okay, but I'm, I'm quite get... interested in that. So tell me, why is rom-com <laughs> so difficult? Um, I suppose like all genres, there's a bit of formula to it. Uh -huh. um, and I think it's, it's the, the art of any writing is to cover that formula up, you know, and um, so what you're writing seems organic and um, people can't predict the twists and turns. Uh -huh. And I, I don't think I've quite got there with rom-com yet. Right, but you've tried? Um, yeah, yeah. Ah. Tried everything, really. <laughs> and of course, you have a Jerry Anderson connection. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, um, well, recently um, I wrote one of the audio Big Finish plays, um, which is an adaption of Death of the Domain, mm -hmm. um, which is one of the actual TV episodes of mm -hmm. Space 1999. Mm. Um, that was great fun. And I can tell you all about that. Um, yes, please so, do. Yeah, so I took the episode, well, I was given the episode to write. Yeah. Um, there were some original episodes created. But mine was an adaptation of um, the the actual TV episode with Brian Blessed and yes. uh, John Shrapnel. Right. Yes. Um, and so I had to watch it loads of times. What um, a shame. That's yeah. been terrible for you. <laughs> it's great. Um, and, you know, I mean, you sort of notice things in it that you don't expect. And I think one of the big things you first notice with that episode is the casting. Because you think, who's going to play the mad, you know, raging yeah. um Maniac. Yeah. It's going to be Brian Blessed, surely. Yes. But no, they subvert that. Swerve ball. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really all the better for it because also 
I think it's the first time I've I saw Brian Blessed give this sort of real nuanced performance. You know, he's great at what he does, but I think he doesn't get the chance to perhaps do those smaller performances. Sure, um, of a troubled man who's trying to do the right thing, who's also sort of been um, his his intellect's really been corroded by eternity. You know? Yeah, I mean, what an amazing part to play. Yeah, and then John Shrapnel playing the sort of um, the captain of the mission who's gone quite mad. Um, so, it's, yeah, it's a really interesting dynamic when you look at that episode. Um, it's not what you expect. This is something I'm sure we'll come back to both in this interview and next week's. You mentioned just a moment ago how you like uh, taking new ideas. Mm. So what's it like delving into someone else's idea, an old idea? Yeah. What's that like? Um, well, the adaptation of this episode was, um, I knew the series really well because I love it. I love Space 1999. I grew up with it. Mm. Um and I've recently, strange enough, rewatched the whole thing as as an adult. Um, and so, the challenges of re, of adapting that episode were: you suddenly realise there's so many ideas in that particular episode. It's yeah. it's bursting with ideas of immortality, um, the fact you, you're childless. If if you live forever, you, you don't ever re, um, procreate. Uh-huh. Um, but it's also got ideas of sort of galactic domination. It's got ideas of um, evolution, yeah. um, insanity, wow, um, yes. terraforming. It's yes. all, in, all in 45 minutes. <laughs> and it's <laughs> it's quite a burden for the episode to bear, to be honest. It's, it's brilliant. But So one of the things I had to do was look at those various strands and sort of investigate some of them perhaps more than others. Yeah. Um, and also to make s- some of the logic things of each strand weren't quite clear. So, uh-huh. so I had to do those. Right. Um, but no, the ama- amazing original episode is incredible. I mean, yeah. there's, I don't know if you remember it, but there's um, shots when the Alphans first arrive on the planet mm-hmm. and they're, they're trapped in a snowstorm, which is obviously a tiny, tiny set somewhere. <laughs> um, but it looks amazing. And you think this is really incredible, for, yeah. not just for the time, but for now. It's, yes. Um, you don't think, oh, this is a broom cupboard with some polystyrene beads. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, of course, in audio, you have the luxury of having no constraints, really. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, the only constraint being your listener's imagination. That's right, yes. Mm. If you want a fleet of eagles being destroyed yes. or whatever, you can do it. Yes. Um, and, yeah, to be honest, that was one of the massive thrills for me was the first time you sort of hear the um, audio of the engines of the eagle. Oh, yeah. And you think, oh, I wrote this bit. It's, oh. This is amazing. Yeah. And it... That sound just takes you back, and yeah. it's um, incredible. So it felt quite an honour to have that. I presume an original sound effect from the TV series in the, the yeah. audio. Yeah, sure. Uh, you spoke there about the great, the, the almost the grand themes in, in the story. Is that mm. what attracts you generally to uh, other people's writing, or is that what you try and tackle in your own writing? I think yeah, you always look for the theme that you either want to explore or mm-hmm. which you're adapting. Mm. Um, and it's one of the things like I've I've done several book adaptations for TV, mm-hmm. um, and again it's it's a bit of a challenge because you have to sort of uh, whistle down perhaps a six hundred page novel to um, an hour of television yeah. in sort of episodes. Yeah. Um, and so I think the first thing you look for is the theme. Yeah. What is the author trying to explore? Yeah. And then then you try and write something that's sympathetic to that, and it may amalgamate characters, it may amalgamate events or cut out bits, but yeah. but you don't want to lose that spine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, you might think you've already established your Jerry Anderson credentials by yeah. writing for Space 1999, but let's now. see how much you really know. We'd like to play a little game, if we may, called Super Identification. 
Uh, I'm going to play you some very quick clips right. from just about all of the Jerry Anderson TV series, starting from the 1960s all the way through to 2005, okay. I think. And I would like <laughs> you to see how many you can guess at. Or if you remember them, shout them out yes. as you see them, and we'll see how you do. Ready? Don't, don't be disappointed. <laughs> Let's see. Okay. Boy. In which case, this is... This is not Fireball. <laughs> this is... Oh, is it Fairweather Falls? Oh, that's so close. That's Fireball X. So. Is it? This is Fireball X. <laughs> Got there eventually. Oh, it's uh, Stingray. Has to be. Yes. Water. And Thunderbirds, of course. Yes, of course. No one's got that one wrong, surely. <laughs> oh, this is Captain Scarlet. <gasps> Good. Joe 90. Great. Oh. Mm. Stanley Arwin. Yes. No. <laughs> Trips a few people up that one. Oh, UFO. Good. Now we're cooking on gas. Oh, this is Space 1999. Yeah. This is an emergency. Terrahawks? Good, yeah, well done. Yeah. <laughs> a little more obscure now, no. <laughs> it's, is this space precinct? That's it. It's a legend, fabled right across the universe. No. No. And finally... Oh, is this the new Captain Scarlet? Oh, well done, yes. it is a new Captain Scarlet. Round of applause for Roland. Excellent. Thank you. Well, I mean, I know that you were a little uh, anxious about that. I was, yeah. Uh, fearing that you weren't going to do quite as well as you'd hoped. Uh, previous guests have had, uh, well, I think we have Lee Sullivan here. We've got 18, which I think did is I, Did I beat now. him? Uh, six from Nigel Planer last week. Did I beat him? Uh, would you be surprised <laughs> to learn that you got a very respectable 10? Oh, that's unpleasant. That. Right. We had a little bit of a snafu at the beginning where I think you misidentified uh, Twizzle yeah. as Torchy. Ah, okay. And I think um, I was saying um, Fireball for lots of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that was your sort of default. Yeah, I thought it was going to be right once. <laughs> Supercar, <laughs> I think you said, was Fireball X. But these are easy mistakes to make. Yeah. Uh, so there was sort of some gaps there, but actually quite a bit of knowledge once we got towards, um, certainly I think the UFO you knew, Space 1999, yes, of course, yeah. uh, Captain Scarlet and Thunderbirds, all the sort of well-known ones. But what do you specifically remember about uh, any of those series? What's your earliest memory of yeah. watching a Jerry Anderson series? Um, I think it would be would be Thunderbirds. Right. Um, watch it on a Sunday morning. Right. Um, so I go swimming and yep. and then I come back and it would be my sort ah. of ritual of a Sunday. I'd be allowed to have Sunday lunch right. in front of it. So it must have <laughs> been on at lunchtime uh -huh. or in, in the evening if my parents were really slow with yep. cooking. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, that's what I remember. And... I remember the frustrating thing of the time was you had no idea which episode it was going to be. Um, oh. I mean, you could sort of read the Radio Times. But, yes, I see. But if you wanted to see a particular episode again, you know, you'd think, well, I hope they show it again. Mm. But you had no control over the mm -hmm. vagaries of scheduling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, now, so let's take a look at one of your very first sure. Anderson memories. General Peters from Thunderbird 1. Is there any news from the trapped men? I'm afraid not. Their radio failed 10 minutes ago.
Can you increase the air purifying system? The exhaust fans at full power. The cooling plants at full stretch, too. Let's hope it holds out. How you doing with that crack, Johnny? These soaked rags are helping. But the heat is terrific on the home. You bet it, boys. We've got to hold on. Wow. <laughs> the Pit of Peril. Yes. Uh, from 1965, in fact. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, the second episode, I think, mm. uh, of The Thunderbirds Run. I'd have seen it as a repeat because I wasn't born. Yeah, exactly right. Um, That's what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there was something when we spoke about this uh, uh, prior to you coming to join us here. There was something about that particular episode and those particular scenes that mm. really stayed with you. Yeah. What was that? Um, I think it's the tension of it. It's, yeah. um, I mean, the situation is you've got this um, experimental, I think it's a military vehicle called mm-hmm. the Sidewinder, mm-hmm. and it's stuck in a massive hole, yeah. and they can't get it out, and the guys inside are running out of oxygen, and the heat's increasing. Um, and, you know, for a children's program, it is, like, perilous because um, it, it doesn't let up. Yeah. And even when international rescue get there, you know, it's no easy task for them to rescue these this situation yeah um and so i think it was the peril i think i found that really exciting yeah um and it's only recently i realized that each episode's about an hour long or mm-hmm. 50 minutes long yeah but i think when you're a kid watching it it just goes in a flash because the tension is there there's no there's yeah. no flap to it it's testament to the team isn't it that they were able to, able to take essentially yeah. puppets and make these mm. stories full of peril and tension as you mentioned yeah. there i think it's amazing because also the I think I've read recently that the early episodes were, they're all about 20 minutes long mm-hmm. and the network was so pleased with them that yeah. they sort of basically said, can you add sort of 25 minutes to each of these? That's it. And so to consider that probably that episode is yes. like an amalgamation of a yeah. shorter episode and a longer one. Amazing. So is that the sort of thing as a writer that would fill you with horror if you had written yeah. a 25 minute script <laughs> and the producer said, yeah, that's great, but we'd like it to be twice the length. Yeah. Where would you start with that? Oh gosh. I think you'd, um, Wait a bit before you reply to the email, <laughs> and then <laughs> tell me you yeah. feel calmer. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a big a big thing to ask any writer, I think, and and the fact they do it so well, it's not like there's 25 minutes of the traces just talking yeah. around the barbecue or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it, I mean, just as a drama, it sells itself. You don't you don't remember you're watching puppets, uh-huh. and I think it's that super marionation. Yes, um, the fact you know. Again, recently I read that the they had uh, sort of chips inside the heads that, so you'd speak as That's an actor, it. and they'd um, the lips would move in time, That's which it. I think is incredible for the for the sixties. Absolutely, it's, it'd be incredible now. Yeah, let alone in the sixties. No wonder they put people on the moon. Yeah. in that era. That's it. It's, absolutely, it's all very sort of forward thinking, wasn't it? It was always yeah. thinking about the day after tomorrow. What might that look like? What can we do? Yeah. How can we get there? Uh, was this the start of a long sort of um, interest in, in, in Thunderbirds in particular, or, or is it just a, this just an, an isolated memory? Um, I've watched, I think I watched all the Thunderbirds mm-hmm. um, in the repeats mm-hmm. and then um, didn't get into Captain Scarlet as much, perhaps. Right. Um, I think I was always always wanted to see what the Mysterons looked like. Oh. And we, I think we had a boy at school, a primary school, who said, oh, there's one episode where you see what they're really like. Oh. He was lying. Yes. But, um, so, <laughs> so were you waiting waiting for yeah. that one episode? But you've got him to thank, because I think there's probably a whole generation of at least my school friends who watched Captain Scarlet because they thought, there's going to be that one episode where we see them. <laughs> it's not a bad hook, is it? Yeah. That's right. Um, so what do you think, is there anything you can put your finger on, both as a writer or as your memories as a young viewer, that separated Thunderbirds from other TV offerings 
mm. at the time you were watching it. I'm guessing, are we talking 70s, 80s? Late? Yeah, sort of late 70s, yeah. 80s. Um, yeah. I, think, I think it's the scale of it. Um, oh. There's, I mean, the explosions are... Yeah. I think someone said on a previous podcast, they're real explosions. Real explosions. So there's no CGI, obviously. That's it. Um, so if you wanted to blow up a truck, you had to do it as a model. And um, yeah. and it all looks so realistic. Um, it doesn't, the model work is exemplary, mm. you know. Mm. And I think it's, it's the dirt and stuff on the vehicles. Mm. They're not pristine. They don't look like toys you buy at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I got really hooked on Thunderbirds, yeah. um, and then Space Nineteen Ninety Nine. Uh huh. Um, watched all those. Yeah. Um, and I was watching Doctor Who at the right. time, Star okay. Trek. Yeah. Um, all those sort of things, but yeah, loved it. So I'm getting a picture of uh, of uh, Roland Moore sitting around the TV with his Sunday lunch, yes. being allowed to watch Thunderbirds. Yeah. At what point, or was there a point where the little penny dropped in your mind that? You might want one day to work in this world of, of the imagination yeah. as a writer. When did that happen? Um, I think it was a bit later, but um, but certainly sort of by the sort of that sort of time I was writing. <laughs> it's quite a sad admission. I was, I was writing like fake TV listings. We've all been for, there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Show me someone who um, hasn't written fake TV listings. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, so there'd be for, for, I think at first for Space 1999, so original adventures, I ah, think, in my head. And yeah. Then write a little synopsis. Um, and then sort of stuff I'd invented myself, you know, and um, and it's only sort of now you look back as a sort of as a sort of a full time writer, yeah. and you realise actually that's a really useful skill because yeah. you're basically writing a log line for whatever idea you're pitching, um, and so to do those listings was great fun mm. um, and because you're distilling distilling the essence, yes, making it exciting, yes. And, um, eye-catching, yeah. something to draw you in. And I never had to write the scripts, obviously, because I wasn't doing that. But <laughs> yeah. So I, I imagine some of them had impossible situations that, as a writer of the script, you'd yeah. think, no way I can do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's you sort of dipping your toe in. Was that, What was your first sort of positive step mm. towards doing what, what you do now? Yeah, um, so it would have been um, the tail end of Spitting Image uh-huh. um, when the last days of that. Right. I would, um, I was working sort of, of sort of my first job and then every Tuesday I'd um, fax some sketches through to oh. and um, I got some really encouraging feedback never got anything on the show right um, and so that was my first sort of a go at professional writing I see um, I'd written a Doctor Who script before that well just like Nigel Planer last week it yeah. seems yes yes that's There's right a theme here um, mine wasn't wanted but um, uh-huh. but it never got to the production office um, I think I think bizarrely the <laughs> the two Ronnies were doing a script competition and obviously not reading the room, they obviously wanted comedy. Yeah. But I sent them a Doctor Who script. Okay. Why not? Worth a go. Didn't, didn't win. But yeah. <laughs> when are we talking? Was it in your mind, was it sort of a classic Doctor Who script? Or because I'm guessing this is before the new series. Yeah, so it would have been So we're talking uh, Tom Baker, Peter, Peter Davison. Right. I guess, yeah. So you were writing for the fifth Doctor, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Ah, I see. And um yeah, for some reason the two Ronnies didn't want it. And <laughs> what this is almost a what does has it ever felt like a job? I mean, I can imagine being a writer has its challenges, but I should imagine ultimately it's quite rewarding. But has it ever felt like a, just a job? Um, no, I mean, I don't think it has. I mean, mm. it's, it's always a pleasure, absolute pleasure to do it yeah. and an honor. You know, you feel yeah. you feel privileged to be able to do it. Yeah. Um, I mean, there, there have been times when I've, I've worked on some children's animations. And I remember this was one distinct moment where I was talking to a producer on the telephone and we're talking about the logistics 
of an elephant, whether it, whether it be a good goalkeeper or not. Right. And okay. you're two grown men. This is what you're talking about and getting paid for. And it's, yeah. Not a so, bad way to earn a living. So in a way, it's about face of thinking. It's never felt like a job, but it's felt like not like a proper job. Yes. you think yes. this isn't a way to make a living, really. Yes. <laughs> and how in charge of the process are you in terms of the work that you get? Uh, are you literally a sort of a writer for hire and you consider anything that comes through the, the, yeah. the letterbox, as it were? Or are you able to put feelers out and suggest, put pitch ideas to producers and so on? Both, yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, I think um, anyone wanting to sort of go into writing, I think you have to do both. Mm. Um, so you have to be willing to write other people's shows mm-hmm. and all the time you're trying to sell your own shows. Mm. Um, and a lot of <clears throat> a lot of your income will come from development, mm. um, so writing scripts, right. um, treatments for things. But, that um, we may never see. You may never see, yeah. yeah. And, and how think, do you live with that? Um, I think once you realise that's an accepted point of, a writer's life, yeah. it's fine. Okay. Um, it's disappointing because you think every idea you have, you think this is going to make a great series yeah. or a great film, yeah. and then it doesn't happen. And you, I think the other trick is to move on. Uh-huh. So you, you never forget those ideas and you think that their time might come again. Sure. Um, but you have to then get passionate about something else. And is there something from the top of your head that you can remember that you did put away for a while but then came in useful later on for another project? Um, yes, yeah. I mean, there's um, when I used to write for the daytime soap Doctors, yeah. um, you're generating storylines all the time for that. Yeah. And by definition, a lot of them just wouldn't get through. Yeah. Um, but none of those ideas are wasted. Um, plot points from shows, sort of sci-fi shows I've created that have never been made, I've used in other things. Ah, um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't think any writers waste stuff. Yeah. Um, the st- stuff that is so specific yeah. to um, that particular show that yeah. you couldn't reuse. But, yeah. You know. And do you recycle characters? That, uh, maybe from a past project that a new project comes along and you think, oh, well, that, actually that character would fit perfectly into this world. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And a, another trick, which I think a lot of writers do, is to use names, the same names. Yeah. So sometimes I use sort of family names. Mm-hmm. Um and it's like an in-joke for myself because yes. nobody else would know. Yes. Um, yeah. But they might appear in multiple things. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. quite nice. So. Um, uh, now, we have many viewers and listeners, as you know, as you know, who've sent in some questions via our Brilliant. Facebook group. So we have here our lovely Space 1999 lunchbox. It's not Zelda's head. I'm... Not Zelda's head. And you're disappointed <laughs> not to have the uh, Zelda mask, weren't you? I was going to wear it. <laughs> I mean, it's just in the corner. So I would like to invite you to... Uh, just rootle around in there and uh, pull out a few questions to answer from our uh, viewers and listeners. Sure. Explain quantitative easing. Uh, no. I think it's a long <laughs> podcast, isn't it? <laughs> I wouldn't have an answer for that. Um, Ashley Mills, um, yes. thank you for this. If you're asked to write a remake of Space 1999 for TV, what would you change? Ooh. It's a really good question, Ashley. Um, Gosh. It's, yeah, it's one of those things I probably wouldn't change that much. Um because I think it really works. I think um, making it run for longer than two seasons would be good. That'd be nice. So yeah, because we'll thank you for that. Yes. For a start. <laughs> um, and I don't think Koenig and Helena ever got together, really, did they? Sure. And I think in a modern TV setting, yeah. you'd have to explore that, whether they would or mm. wouldn't get together at the end. Or, mm. um, but, but that yeah. would... Uh, 
sort of indicate a finite story. It would, yes. Because what happens when they're together, then suddenly it's not a very interesting story. Yeah. So you'd have to... I think it's like the X-Files is how long can you keep that yeah. tension there? Yeah. Um, or in Frasier with Daphne and yeah. Niles, you think, yeah, mm-hmm. there comes a time when you have to perhaps move on. And, yeah and then do something else. And what about the science? I mean, some of the science is a little bit shaky. We don't mind because it's science fiction, of course, yeah, sure. but would you want to address some of that perhaps? How feasible is it that the moon could break out of Earth's orbit yeah. and suffer no apparent consequences? Yeah, um, yeah. I think we'd have to some, come up with some scientific, yeah. um, pseudo-scientific thing for, to yeah. explain that. Hmm. Um, it's like their desire to come back to Earth, you think. Earth's going to be dead by the time you come back because mm-hmm. it's got no moon. <laughs> yeah. So you'd have to explain that sort of thing, I think. Oh. Um, but no, I mean, the concept of having a basically a spaceship that is the moon yeah. uh, with your characters trapped on it. Yeah. Um, and one thing I loved about it was the window they had to find a new home. It was something like three days. I think we explore it in oh. Deaths of the Dominion. Right. That they, they're in orbit of whatever planet for three days. Yeah. And so by that time, they've got to make a decision, evacuate. And it's a massive sort of, yeah, yeah, jumping out the frying pan sort of situation. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So thanks, Ashley, but yeah. I probably wouldn't change much. Uh, and happy with the characters as well as, as they stand, do you think? Yeah. Roughly? Um, I think um, I'll probably explore Koenig a bit more. And, yeah. Because um, he's always seemed like a man on the edge. Mm. I mean, massive responsibility. Mm. Um, and Barry Morse's character, I think. I'd like to explain why he's not in the second series and yeah. you know, yeah. things like that. Yeah, but, that's right. I think um, there's a throwaway line. Did it ever make it to screen? I'm not sure, but I know there was a throwaway line inserted into one of the series two yeah. scripts, but I don't think it was ever filmed. I'm not sure. Take another sure. question from, uh, from one of our listeners. Brilliant. Thank you. Uh, Jonathan Bell. Um, thank you, Jonathan. He says, um, did you ask any real-life World War II land girls when researching the programme? Ah, so tell us about land girls, first of all. Sure. Um, so Land Girls was a series, a wartime drama series set on the home front. And it ran for three series on the BBC. Um, and it was designed to commemorate the start of the war, the anniversary of the war. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, it was a, a, a great challenge and a really good opportunity for me because <clears throat> I wrote female-led stories um, about the women who weren't so much left behind, mm. but they were sort of forced to adopt totally new lives mm. um, because they were doing jobs that the men would do mm. um, in particular farming because mm. being an island we were susceptible we'd have starved during the war because the u-boats were attacking yeah. Yeah. Um, any supply ships so it was a great opportunity to sort of explore these unsung heroes mm. and um, one of the most gratifying things was sort of audience feedback saying we didn't never knew what a land girl was you know um, and there are 80,000 of them. Uh, they were amazing. Right. Wow. Um, yeah. So, uh, yes, so I did talk to some real land girls. Um, I also researched a lot of <coughs> um, sort of written accounts. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because part of it, although you're writing a fictional thing, you want you want to sort of give um, sort of weight to what they went through. Absolutely. Um, don't treat it frivolous, frivolously. Mm. Try and get it right. Yeah. You know? yeah. And there are obviously details we don't get right because, you know, that's the way TV works. But, it's a drama. It's um, entertainment. Yeah. In essence, isn't it? Yes. I mean, there'll be a lot more ploughing. We, we have one criticism <laughs> saying there's not enough farming. Um, but I think, yeah, 45 minutes. <laughs> right. Yeah. And one of, the, one of the best comments we had on the audience log was saying, there weren't many badgers in it this week. <laughs> and I thought, 
I realised they were watching Country Files, <laughs> but it had been filed in the wrong place. <laughs> yeah. And uh, wait, what was the the genesis of that of that idea? Did that come to you, or did you develop it and take it to? Yeah, it was the BBC, I think. Wasn't it, it was the BBC, um, and it was my first series uh-huh. um, as a creator. So that mm. was amazing. Um, so yeah, we had the opportunity to pitch ideas. Um, it wasn't just me; quite a few writers uh-huh. um, pitch ideas to commemorate the start of the war. Mm-hmm. So we had, I think, a year from generating an idea to it actually being shown. So really? It was a really tight deadline. Um, and so loads of writers pitched for it. Yeah. Um, I naively wrote a thing about women working in a field, yeah. thinking, oh, it's going to be cheap in terms of period shooting. Right. Um, it never worked out that way because obviously you have to have interiors, you yes. have to have vehicles. And yes. and we, we got amazing help. We had... Um, Reenactment societies who oh, would come along dressed as GIs with their own tanks and things. Great! And it, wow! Wow! Yeah. And it just makes it look big budget. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we ha- uh, so I pitched the idea very quickly. It was accepted and greenlit, um, which is unusual for TV. Mm. But as I say, they were working on a deadline. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I've got a review here. Uh, with singular warmth and full-bodied characters, Land Girls is a series that lifts the spirits and offers a comforting model of hope in troubling times. Oh. We were, yeah, I mean, we were lucky that Chimes, it was repeated during lockdown yeah. um, because it was one of the most requested dramas um, for people to see again, yeah. um, which is lovely. You know, yeah. It's just um, it gives it a comfort. You had, I suppose, as a series creator, a great sort of overview of, of the stories and the series as a whole. Yes. I guess you were really in there getting your hands dirty, weren't mm-hmm. you, in, in terms of the characters' arcs and storylines? and Yeah. H- how many of the episodes did you actually write yourself? All... Um, I didn't write all sure. of them. Uh, how many did I write? I think I wrote five, um, but right. we storylined the whole lot. Yes. Um, so, yeah, there were 15 episodes altogether. And so that became your baby. Was that a, a, is it a nice feeling, having something that is your world, your, your toy box, rather mm-hmm. than... As writers so often do, I think, having to dip into other people's toilets. Yeah, and yeah. there's that weird second-guessing sometimes. You think, I should be asking somebody about this, what about this character's backstory and things, because I need confirmation. And then you suddenly think, no, I know this. This, <laughs> yes. is, this is from my head. The buck stops with you. It does, yeah. That's right. Uh, which then led on, I think, to writing novelizations of, of The Land Girls. Yes. Yeah. You wrote three novels. Did a trilogy, yeah. And so how was that process different writing prose for these characters as opposed to writing... Um, Dialogue for, for a TV script. I really enjoyed it. I think it's writing a novel is a totally different experience from writing a script. Mm. And it was, it brought home to me when I realized that I looked at Land Landgirl script. Yeah. And it would have like a description of a hedge or something. Like they pass a hedge in a field. When you write it in a book, you suddenly think, well, I could write a page on this hedge, you know, and yes, describe it. And, I see. And, yes. And, and so it's, I think TV goes for the sparseness of it and yeah. the sort of feeling of it. To, yeah. you, know, you don't want loads of description in a TV script. Yeah. But in a novel, it's acceptable. Yeah. Um, I didn't do masses of description because I wanted the story to move on. And were these using the characters from the show? They were, yeah. So you'd sort of assume, I mean, hopefully you'd get uh, new readers as well, but you'd perhaps assume that those who were reading the books were already familiar to some extent yeah. with the characters. We had a mix, really. We had totally new readers who had never seen the TV series um, and ones who were fans of the TV series. Um, But the stories followed on from the TV series. So originally I was going to write adaptations of what we'd seen on TV. But as it stands, it's more or less like season four. Right. Um, It wraps up some of the stories. Right, right. Take another question from the box. 
Let's see who else has got in touch. A lot in here. Mm. Okay. Uh, oh, it's a nice one. Thank you, Jeff Tilly. Um, which screenwriters do you most appreciate? Ah, yeah. right. Now, when you hear a question like that, where are you automatically going? Are you going to film or are you going to TV? Are you going to working, jobbing writers, as it yes. were, or are you going towards the greats? Um, combination, I think. It's yeah. probably mainly TV. Yeah. Um, so writers I really admire are Russell T. Davis. Ah, uh -huh. why in particular? Um, I think just the just the way he sort of plays with form as well and nails emotion, I right. think. Yeah. You know, I think some of his best bits, like of Doctor Who, were two characters in a room yeah. talking about their feelings. Yeah. Incredible, you know. Yeah. I think I could do without spaceships exploding if, <laughs> if you've got that as a core. You know? right. um, but he also plays with form, like with um, the one he did recently, Nolly. Yes. Um, you know, you'd have a scene that sort of you thought you'd seen all of it, mm. and then later on you realise, no, you hadn't seen the end of that scene, mm. and it sheds a whole new light on what you're seeing now. Mm. Yeah, really clever, sort of yeah. innovative stuff. Yeah. Um, so he's one, um, probably more old school. There's a couple of Doctor Who writers and Blake Seven, who I really admire. Yeah. There's Robert Holmes. Of course, yes. Um, and uh, Chris Boucher. Right. Um, now, so you were watching these as as a young, as a child. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did, did, was your ear caught by things like the dialogue then, even then, do you think? Yeah. The rhythm of the dialogue or I anything like so. that? I think so. I think... I think as a child, I wasn't that analytical of scripts. Mm. I didn't know how they worked or anything. But I think as a child, you're more aware when something doesn't work. Right. And so when a bit of dialogue clunks or yeah. a character doesn't do something, they you think, why are they behaving like that? Yeah. The motivation's wrong. Yeah. Um, and so it's only later I realised exactly what those writers were doing and mm -hmm. their, their amazing gift for what they were doing. Yeah. Um, you mentioned there you were particularly appreciative of, of Russell D. Davis's ability to put two characters in a room and they just talk about their emotions, mm. which may not be moving the plot forward, but no. nonetheless gives an emotional heart to the piece. Yeah, absolutely. Is that the sort of thing that you would write to test yourself? Have you ever given yourself sort of writerly tests? Mm. How can, you know, can I write a drama, <laughs> two people in a room? What would yeah. that feel like? Um, yeah, I think you're always giving yourself tests. I mean, I've, I've written like a, a sitcom script set in one setting. Right. And that was mainly as a challenge to myself to see if I could do it. Uh -huh. um, I've written things like, well, I thought I only want three characters in this, uh -huh. just, just to see if you can do it. Yes, yes. Um, and, but quite often it's, it's the producers who give you a restriction. Right. They say, okay, we can't, we can't film this Roman army. You know, it's going to cost too much. <laughs> yeah, just a bit. Um, can you do it with sort of a messenger coming in or something, telling people? <laughs> um and so all those sort of notes force you to sort of challenge yourself. Yeah. And sometimes a lack of budget is a really inspiring thing. Right. Um, I did a show which it didn't have a lack of budget, but I did a show in China um, called Humans, a sci-fi show. Yeah. And the fantastic thing about that was that we had lots of restrictions from the government about what we could could and couldn't right, do. Right, right. But rather than sort of thinking, oh, that's a restriction, it's a it's an opportunity. Yeah. You think, yeah, you've got to be clever, you've got to work out a way around this. Yeah. And, nice. Yeah. Uh let's have uh, one more question, I think. Okay. This is from Richard Goodborn. Thank mm -hmm. you. Uh which other Anderson episode would you like to adapt for Big Finish? Ah. Ooh. So are we going for Space 1999 again, or would you look at other of his series? UFO, you seem to recognize there. 
Yeah, in the, uh, UFOs, something I got into very, very recently, yeah. last week. Yeah. <laughs> so, Pretty recently. In preparation for this, <laughs> um, I thought, I've never seen this show, so I thought right. I'd, I'd look. So I looked up um, what they considered were the 10 best episodes yeah. on various forums yeah. and then started watching them. Um, I loved it. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was really good. So, yeah, I'd love to write UFO. Um, I think Big Finish have done some UFO. Yes, but yes. UFO if they do some happen. more, yeah, yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. yeah. Would you be tempted to look at any of the Super Marination series? There have also been audio adaptations of those. Would you be uh, Yeah, tempted? absolutely. I mean, yeah. Th- Thunderbirds. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think writing <laughs> that Jeopardy, that... Yeah. Um, yeah, I love writing scripts where something can go wrong. And just as you think you fixed it, something else goes wrong. Uh-huh. It's just... Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like the ending for Back to the Future, you know, when they're trying to sort of get the DeLorean right. before the thunder, um, before the lightning hits the clock tower. Yes. Absolutely everything goes wrong and it's a masterclass in yes. writing that sort of jeopardy of That's right. you think you've sorted it, oh, my God, something else has gone wrong. Because so, as an audience, we don't want to see things going right, do we? There's no, no dramatic interest in that at all. No. And yet as writers, we quite often want to give our characters an easy time. <laughs> you think, yeah, but sitting around having a cup of tea isn't going yeah. to do it. No, exactly. <laughs> Oh, no. Uh, that sound means it's time for your quick fire five, Roland. Okay. Uh, now, that means I'm going to read you out five either or questions. Right. And it's up to you to very quickly give me an answer as to which of these you prefer. Are you ready for your quick fire five? I am. Who would win in a battle of the beards? Space 1999's <laughs> Commissioner Simmons, as played by Roy Detrice, or Brian Blessed as Maya's father, mentor? Oh. Hmm? Brian Blessed, I think. Yeah. It's got to be, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, choose a special power, shapeshifter like Space 1999's Maya, or mind reader like Space Precinct's Officer Took. Ooh, which would be um, most useful? I think it'd be cool to be able to change your shape. Yeah? So Maya. Well, perhaps you've done that today already and I just yeah. don't know. Uh, you're gifted a real-life Space 1999 Eagle. Do you want to fly it yourself or get Alan Carter to show you how it's done? I think I'd better get lessons first. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of responsibility. Uh, you need a clever gizmo to save you from exposure to deadly radiation, but who do you trust to create it? Space 1999's Professor Bergman or Thunderbird's brains? Ooh, both capable. Mm. Yeah. Brains, maybe? Yeah. And finally, you have to choose a colour from the Dulux paint range and become a Spectrum agent. So tell me, are you Captain Cream or are you <laughs> Lieutenant Lemon Pie? Ooh. Lemon pie sounds more oh, fun. Fantastic. <laughs> well done. That's your quick fire five. Thank you very much, Roland. Thank you. Uh, now, just before we go, uh, I hope you'll come and join us again next week yeah, for sure. uh, another uh, quick interview. Um, but where can we find you on social media? Are you particularly active? Where okay. can our listeners and viewers find you? Um, yeah, I've got a website, which is um, rolandmore.tv. Um, and also I'm on Twitter uh, all the time that exists um, <laughs> at rolandmoretv. Thank you very much. So nice to see you. And thanks for joining us here at Slough. Thanks, Roland. Thank you. Roland Moore. I can't wait for more. Stop saying that. I bet he gets that all the time. No, he's never had that before in his life. You reckon? Yeah, he told me. Just he was leaving. He said, I love that gag you did at the beginning (laughs) because I've never heard that before. Well, he'll be back next week, so I shall ask him. Okay, good. And if you're lying... You'll feel very foolish, won't you? Uh, absolutely, yes. <laughs> so like sort of cry wolf, but yeah. say more. I always love to have writers on the show because they give us a little kind of sideways look at the world of Jerry Anderson, mm. how it ticks as a kind of a narrative arc and how the characters work together. Yeah. He was particularly impressed, as we saw in that interview, with the moments of peril and tension, yeah. which he thinks drive drama. Uh, I think that's a very good point. Because, as he says, no one likes to see people sitting around having a cup of tea getting along famously. No one likes to sit watching people 
talking chat to each other. No. Yeah. No. Okay. No, well, that's good. That. Yeah. Uh, um, I'm looking forward to more. Good. And uh, oh, I did it again. Yeah. Sorry, that wasn't on purpose. I'm so sorry. Uh, moving on. Moving on. Yeah, moving yeah, on. So yes, Roland back next week for additional interview stuff. Yes. Excellent. Uh, in the meantime, people have been commenting on our Facebook group as well. Really? There's so many ways to get in touch. It's no wonder they keep on doing it. We just make things too easy for them. Why don't we just shut all these lines of communication? Barriers, that's what we need. And just do what we want uh, to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. That'd be good. Oh, well. We, Until then, let's read people. these. Yeah. Uh, Lynn McKinnon says, I found this space-related article and it got me thinking. They had better have International Rescue and the Tracy Boys ready on emergency speed dial once they start testing this engine design. Oh, yes. And this is a link to uh, an article from sciencealert.com. Nuclear fusion propulsion technology has the potential to revolutionise space travel in terms of both speeds and fuel usage. Mm. The same kinds of reactions that power the sun could halve travel times to Mars. It's incredibly exciting, but not everyone is convinced this is going to work. The tech needs ultra-high temperatures and pressures to function. As you might expect, replicating the sun inside a rocket isn't easy. Mm. The plasma behaves like a weather system in terms of being incredibly hard to predict using conventional techniques. In other words, Jamie, something could go wrong. Oh. See what I'm doing? And maybe by the end of this podcast, something, something could will go wrong. Go wrong. And we'll end on some sort of cliffhanger yeah. into the next series, which starts next week. I'm glad you reminded me. It's that, quite good, isn't it? Because we're halfway through our interview with Roland, as you know. Yes. So that in itself is a cliffhanger. Yes. Will he come back next week? I mean, yes, he will. But will he? But he, he might not. But he might not. I mean, he will. Yes, he yeah. will. Yeah. Um, good. Yes. Uh, Gaius Ross, loving the YouTube podcast, says Gaius. I'm just wondering, why is it Jeff's sofa and not Alan's? I asked that. It was a sofa that Alan sat on that lowered to Thunderbird 3. Yeah. Jeff had a desk and chair. Yes. Well, Emma Nichols has the answer because Jeff paid for it. Ah, uh, that explains it. So it's Jeff's sofa. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Yeah, catch Chris on Jeff's sofa imminently with a randomizer. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Good. Uh, in the meantime, yes. David Lee Summers yes. says... Delighted to receive my copy of To Everything That Was mm -hmm. uh, to go with my copy of Aftershock and Awe. Lovely. Also excited to see that the book features an intro by Dayton Ward. Oh, yes. Who I edited an anthology with who has shared a table of contents with me on more than one occasion. As in, they've been in the table of contents together, right? That's what he means. I guess, yes. Yes, not just like, here's a table of contents. I mean, here's contents. a table of contents, and I'm sharing it with you, so we've all been there and done yeah, that. Yeah, all right, David, nothing special there. <laughs> uh, Roger M. Smith says, while working on a totally uh, unrelated project to any Anderson model, a random thought came into my head. Is mm. Captain Scarlet the first Anderson show whose main lead was British and not American? Richard Goodborn responded, I think it was, but do we count Crossroads to crime? In that mm. case, no. You could say that Torchy's Irish from his paternal maker, Mr. Bumbledrop. I mean, he could. Is Torchy Irish? Well, he's saying you could infer that from the fact that his maker, yes. his father figure, is, is Irish, Mr. Bumbledrop. Yeah. I'm no? not convinced. No. But is Captain Scarlet the first British lead in an Anderson show? Yes. Right. Maybe. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think you could be right. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Roger Morgan writes. Yes. Loving the visual podcast on YouTube. Hooray! Looking sharp, guys. Oh, thank you very much. Well, it means you and your shirt. I yeah. didn't even bother this week. Sorry. No. Uh, it takes you back to the rather lovely halcyon days yes. of Fab Live. Yes. Very similar, but better. Oh, I would Better say production so. value, surely. Right, things don't keep falling off the walls either, do they? No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like they did that old, once. Yeah. Old Scarlet, <clears throat> the post is falling down. Uh, love watching along to the randomizer. Yes. Good choice. Yeah. I used to track down the episodes Chris randomised mm -hmm. and watch them after the pod had finished. 
don't need to do that don't anymore. Don't have to. No. no. That's right. uh, although I always imagine the randomizer to be a much larger piece of kit than it is on screen. I think it just looks smaller on screen. Yeah. It's, yes. it's, it's perspective, it's isn't it? The, yeah, the camera uh, re- Lies. Re- reduces by 20 pounds. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I suppose in this case, size really doesn't matter. In this Agreed, case. Agreed, Roger. Yeah. Uh, but here's the thing. Any thoughts on why Jamie doesn't wear his headphones properly? Oh. Like Richard does. Oh, right. <clears throat> Getting Probably. moistness on the lobes or clammy ears. Too much info for the shell likes to... What? The shell likes. That's your ears. The shell likes. The shell likes. Is that, is that ears? It's like, yeah, your shell I've likes. learned something new. Yes. Too much info for the shell likes to process. Shell likes. Ears. Right. Gosh, no, that's good. Yeah. Um, yes, what's going on with the one ear naked? Yeah, I just, I just like it. I like being able to hear what's going on outside. We occasionally hear there's the odd People bang and going. crash and stuff, and I like to hear that. Yeah. And also, yeah, very, very clammy ear. Yeah. Nice very dry, dry one. So on average, sort of perfectly <laughs> gently moist. <laughs> okay, uh, there you go, Roger. I bet you're really glad you asked. Uh, do comment on our Facebook group. Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash podsterons. Yeah. Uh, we'll see your comments, and if they're interesting, we might read them out next time. Or apparently, even if they're not, uh, going by... Uh... Oh, that was really interesting. They were all really interesting. What about my clammy ears? Yes, but the nation needs to know why you do this entire podcast with one ear out. Well, there you go. Now you know, Roger. I'm sure everyone's fascinated. Now, talking <laughs> of fascinating things... Yes. Would you like to see what Roland Moore got up to with Chris Dale's randomizer? Oh. <clears throat> Is this safe yes. For a... yes yes he just pressed the button that's what okay I mean. fine yeah do you want to see that i'd love to over to chris and roland uh, roland uh, can i borrow you for a moment yeah sure thank you very much I thought i'd escaped but... oh no sadly nobody escapes from the jerry anderson podcast or the randomizer i'm afraid have you heard of this remarkable machine it is an amazing machine it yeah. is isn't it you know what it does is it something to do with episodes it is something to do with episodes yes yes you press that button there, right. in a moment, it will tell us what episode I'm watching and commenting on this week. Great. So all I need is your finger, that button. Could it be EastEnders or something? Or? It could be, but it's unlikely. Stranger things have happened. <laughs> and here we go, almost there. Oh, well, that's quite an interesting choice for this week. We have the tracking of Master Spy. It's from Supercar. Supercar. Yes. Ah. So you go off and find out more about Supercar. Okay. And I'll stay here and watch Enjoy. The Tracking of Master Spy. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, it's time we welcome back to the randomizer. It's Supercar, and we open with uh, a very nice, quite long, uh, also I suspect revealing of the fact that this episode may have been underrunning, uh, sequence of Mike Mercury flying Supercar all over the place. Uh, a lot of stock footage here. We, we know that's from the opening titles. We saw that just 30 seconds ago, in fact. So. Yeah, as I said, I suspect this is padding for an episode that may have been underrunning. In fact, I think there's a second sequence like this later in the episode. But there's something still very nice and very, very pure and wholesome about watching Supercar flying and at times wobbling its way around um, back projected sky, accompanied by this this glorious Barry Gray music. It's just the the sensation, the freedom of, of flight that, that comes with this. Again, you know, we are now basically playing out the opening titles again, but I suppose kids in the 60s seeing this once a week would have loved a little sequence like that. And to be fair, I, I still enjoy that, that sequence quite a lot too. So, now we're going to start the episode proper, I guess. That the part engine always warms up slowly when there's humidity in the atmosphere. And we're back to a, an old supercar standby, technical chattering. Smoothly now. 
and fretting. Oh, yes. You've contacted them, haven't you? There's a slight development at foot here. I've said nothing to anyone. In fact, I've never spoken to anybody outside of this laboratory, Mike. I'm so lonely. secret. Well, when I was in town ordering supplies, some guy came up and started asking questions. I wonder who that could be. Yes. I reckon you must have told the press. And this is at that period in the show's history when Supercar was top secret. By the end of the series, they are the world-famous supercar team. Which, uh, you know, it's fine. I don't find that as, as big a leap as I do um, the way International Rescue is, is presented in Thunderbirds 6. You know, top secret all the way through, through Thunderbirds. And then that final film, it's just like, nah, anybody, anybody can know who we are. It's fine. But naturally, it was clever. You expect Master Spy to play the fool? Mm. Do you? No, no. Oh, I was expecting a sort of, well, Master Spy, you have been known to once or twice. Lovely bow tie on Master Spy there. And again, I, I like that they, they operate out of an office. Uh, I, I'm not sure if it was a consistent office, but they, they did like their skyscraper offices. Master Spy. Ah. Oh, they found a place of extreme isolation. The supercar laboratory. <laughs> that is to our advantage. Despite the fact we that they've already been there. <laughs> I think regardless of what, what episode order you watch these in, whether production or broadcast, um, yes, they knew where, where the supercar labs were right from the start of the show. The next move's up to him in any case. Hmm. But the supercar team have decided, eh, doesn't matter if someone was asking questions, it's fine. What's going to happen? What do you want to look at, Jimmy? Well, Dr. Beaker was doing something earlier this morning, but he was too busy to show me. Hmm. Well, do you think you deserve a look at this uh, mystery object, Jimmy? I don't think you deserve much of anything, Jimmy. Oh, but of course, Beaker has got his proper sidekick, Mitch the Monkey, in there. Always useful to have a monkey around. Me too. In a highly dangerous, oh, technical environment is this. Beaker has invented a black box with a rotating thing on it. Because they were needing one. Well, what is it, Dr. Beaker? Uh, well, uh, I think it'd be rather too difficult to explain to the non-scientist. Mm. Uh, roughly speaking, however, the, the hub uh, of the matter is in this small uh, black box. Ah, oh. Mm, well, it's hardly out of the design stage, of course. Yes, going back to production versus broadcast order for this episode, I think it's quite relevant. I think this was produced halfway through the show's first season, it's like episode 13 or something, and broadcast quite near the end. Um, either episode 25 or 26 of the first season. And it's an episode I've always enjoyed. It feels kind of like either a mid-season sort of um, finale in essence or a proper season finale. It does feel like a, a slightly more epic uh, adventure for the supercar team than they would often have, even though really it only takes place in two different rooms. Audible warning is given from the speaker up there. Hmm. Yeah, you see? And, uh, well, that's really, really nearly all there is to it. So the box of bits is making a beeping noise. You get some sort of reasonable balance on the amplifier here, I could, um... <sighs> Yes, this is, again, early Beaker was sometimes quite, uh, he had, occasionally could go a bit non-responsive when it came to the other members of the supercar team. 
I kind of like the more personable beaker that sort of emerged soon after this. Mike, you mean because of that man you talked to? Then you are worried about him, just like the professor is. Well, let's not say worried. Let's just say that there's no use taking unnecessary chances. Hmm. All this stuff ought to be Especially as you can see the light coming in through the back of my head, through my mouth. Again, Master Spy has always well, got a truck on hand. Uh, no matter the fact that his last truck got blown up at the end of his uh, previous appearance. More stuff lying around than you ever dreamed was possible. <laughs> so this is just like, from, from that point of view, this is just a day in the life of the supercar team, just hanging around the lab, um, complaining about Beaker and that there's going to be more stuff hanging about the place. Well, I suppose Jimmy can take them downstairs and put them in the safe. I suppose that's within the limits of his capabilities. I'm not holding out much hope, but I think he can just about manage that. He's a nice kid, that Jimmy. Always ready to help. Why won't he leave us alone, though? And this is some nice um, non-Barry Gray library music here. I think this is Edwin Astley's stuff. <laughs> and a rare sequence there of a puppet walking through a doorway. I presume there is no, obviously there is no um, roof on that doorway. I have come to finish our discussion. But this comes back to something that I've mentioned with this show previously. I love the fact that the supercar team and Master Spy and Zarin each have each other's home addresses and they can just pop in for a chat whenever they feel like it. It's so casual. Uh, you know, imagine if this was like. Um, uh, Thunderbirds, okay, I think the Hood knew where Tracy Island was, but if it was just, if he happened to turn up on the island, it would be like, oh, what are you doing here? Same with uh, Terrorhawks. Um, Zelda, what are you doing here? It's all just so casual. Um, anyway, Master Spy is here to, well, to capture whatever he can get his hands on, but more importantly, he's going to flood the place with, um, with fuel. And it is quite, actually, for once, it presents Master Spy as quite a credible threat. Um, Do not move. Despite the fact he is largely a comical figure, here he is like, this is almost Captain Black stuff. We have petrol all over the floor and we have Master Spy with a lighter. And to be honest, there's a part of me that is surprised this, this sort of made it to screen in, in, in 1960. Because I don't think you'd get away with this on a, on a kid's show today. But then I suppose in, in 1960 they were like, you know, less concerned with, with, with such things. <laughs> there was a beautiful bit of puppetry on Master Spy there, the way he threw his entire body back. And of course Beaker is totally oblivious to all of this. Professor! Professor, all right, Dr. Baker, everything will be all right soon. <laughs> we have Master Spy with us. Oh. Good heavens! Master Spy? Yes, it takes him a moment to register it. Uh, that is going to be a plot point shortly. But, again, in any other episode, it could be just, you know, he is that that short-sighted and that oblivious to the world going on around him. I also love that bit of Master Spy music, which again, I don't think is Barry Gray, but it's just that boom, boom, boom. It, it does so much for the character. Master Spy is actually standing in the petrol there. That's probably not going to, uh, to be good for his nice shoes. What you are handling now? This is part of the flight control system. 
There's something so surreal about the way Master Spy can just stroll in. And it's not the first time he's been here because he was, um, was it Dr. Metinik he disguised himself as? This is, of course, the reporter that Mike was talking about earlier, so it doesn't say much for Mike's intelligence either that Master Spy walked up to him, no doubt wearing another of his fabulous disguises. Sometimes I think Bigger is just not with us. And Mike just didn't twig. So he's basically talked Master Spy into taking this super important black box that he's invented. I'm sorry, but I have to leave you now. I shall take your case. Oh, I've still got to get these plans to the safe. Down. Oh. Yes, he wants the plans as well. But a lot of this library music that I've mentioned turned up in in black and white episodes of, of Danger Man and The Saint, probably other shows around the same time. Yes, we are. Mike, you know just as well as I do that it would only take a second to drop that light and send the whole place up. We can't mm. risk it. Very it is quite a dangerous setup. <laughs> so Master Spy's got a box. He's got some plans. Following me. Oh, and he's got a big spanner thingy to smash the equipment on the desk. Oh, luckily they have fire extinguishers. And Mitch. Okay for the moment. Main current off, Professor? Yes? And nobody hurt, right? I'm okay, Mike. So is Mitch. Oh, thank God for that, Jimmy. I was worried. I was concerned about the monkey. Surely I'm going to let that ruffian get away. Again, I, I like the way the tone of the thing when we come back from the advert break is, you know, the fire has been dealt with, but let's still be as safe as we can here. Oh, great. Fine help he is. Hands over a bonus free of charge, and now he says it doesn't matter much. Ah, stop worrying, Mike. <laughs> The important thing to find out is how much damage has been done to the equipment. Mm. Sure thing, Professor. Also, yes, it's an odd episode in which Master Spy strolls into the base. Bearing in mind all he ever wants is supercar. He strolls right in. He basically has the supercar team where he wants them. He could have said, hand over supercar or, you know, I'll set Jimmy on fire. He could have got away with it there. But instead he's like, no, give me that box and those plans. He's already got too much of a head start on us. He's, he's a great one for anything new as Master Spy. Supercar is last week's news by now. What are we going to do then? I don't know. Mm. I suppose we'll have to call in the police. Ooh. What do you think, Professor? I suppose so. But I don't want to. I don't want to have everyone know all about Supercar. And At least not until Series 2, Mike. Real ones this time. Yeah, I guess you're right. Mm. But I don't see what else we can do. Oh, that's, there's that laser sound effect that's been turning up all through these Super Mario Nation shows. Um, going back to Torchy, I think, I, I first sort of recognised it from the Spectrum Mistron rifle, but it turns up all over. I, uh, I'm afraid I was perhaps guilty of a small uh, deception. The yeah. I said uh, that I uh, liked Jimmy and enjoyed his presence. Uh, that was a grave uh, deception on my part. Uh, but an understandable one, I think you can agree. Direction finding apparatus. Right, so Beaker somehow got it into his head that Master Spy would turn up at the laboratory that exact day. Or oh, doesn't he mention that he, he makes it, he made it to help track down stray monkeys? And you can tell what direction he's gone? But now Master Spy has got the transmitter. You see, that box gives out a signal at intervals which, if conditions are right, I can... Yes, you see, I can distinctly pick up the transmitted signal. Really? It's like a sort of portable radio beacon. Precisely. Wow. Exactly. 
small radio beacon. And again, for, for 1960, this is probably high-tech stuff to us now. Even you know, within a few years, this, this kind of stuff would be quite tame in, in Thunderbirds, let alone to us now, you know, more than 60 years later. Hey, how long does that gizmo keep transmitting for? I'm not sure. Weeks, I should think. Hmm. Unless he starts to tamper with it. Well, then what are we waiting for? Hmm. So, it's all systems go to get after Master Spy in his truck. Well, I don't know, Mikey. I don't know how good the temporary circuits we've rigged up are. We ought to test it. Hmm. Well, that'll kill some time. This is supercar. We love testing things. Dr. Beaker, you keep that thing... Especially if we can get some extra fretting in there as well. My best. Fine. Then the rest of us can get to work and patch up supercar. That means you, Jimmy. That Mr. Master Spy is in for a shock. Hmm. <laughs> Master Spy is so proud of himself. I don't quite get what he feels he's accomplished. What was his ultimate goal? Why did he go to the lab in the first place? He just, he got there, saw the new box, thought, ooh, new shiny thing, and made off with it. He could have had Supercar. He could have had Jimmy, but alas. How's it coming, Professor? Nearly ready for trial, Mike. I'm not very happy about it, but no doubt you're impatient. I sure am, Professor. I want to get after that guy as fast as I can. Well, Mike, I would love to do some fretting, but uh, yes, the situation is desperate, I suppose. Morning, Mike. It could be risky flying at night. I know it. But I got to get to Master Spy before he starts investigating that box and finds out Ooh. what it is. What are you? Yeah, because if he finds out that you know where he is, uh, he might move. Can't have that. Let that box out of his sight. When I find the box, I find him. <laughs> All right, Mike. I leave it to you. It's so obviously it's a very simplistic show. Um, in terms of its production, not necessarily at this stage in the storytelling, but the 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 hero v villain side of of the stories is still quite quite primitive. I think, as I said, I, I just love with this episode how casually everyone strolls into each other's bases. Just as you like, Mike. But nevertheless, you know, there is just something, something very sweet about it all. And Supercar is, is a show that I'm very fond of without necessarily being a huge fan of, if that makes sense. You know, I, I, love, I love the show. I love the characters. It's not one that I would necessarily put on to watch every, well, more than, you know, every few years. Roger, Professor. Just coming up. And while I've said all that, we're still fretting. We're still doing countdown. We're still doing tech stuff. Here we go. Okay, starboard lit. Switching off now. Okay, we're going to do the other side now. You'd better come out of there and give me a hand. We'll need to rewire the first stage of the console with heavier cables. Oh, okay, it didn't work. Right, that whole thing was, uh... Roger, Professor. I'll be with you in a minute. Hmm. Meanwhile, Dr. Bit of a cul-de-sac, really. Your stuff. We should get off in an hour with some luck. Hey, one hour later. Then, Mike, we've about tested everything now. Oh, we missed okay, it. We missed all that testing. Long enough as it is. Charging port. Coming up 15. 15,000 now. 8 o'clock on then. Fire one. Starboard charging. Opening roof doors. You get ran straight out, Mike. It's, it's, it's all a very simple story, this one. Villain shows up. Villain goes away. Heroes follow villain. Um, 
to no real great effect, but there's just something about it. I, I, I've always greatly enjoyed this episode. And I can't figure out why, because as I said, it opens with padding. I think we're coming up on a bit more stock footage padding here. Is this that shot where Mick Mike goes? Yes, it is. Uh, again, I think, I think that's lifted from the first episode, possibly. But I, I, I love that, that part of it. Sure, Jimmy. Yes, somehow we managed to get along without you. Please vacate the room immediately. Mike? Yes, Dr. Baker? Commence turn to port until the trace on your tube is level with the sight line. Yeah, again, this must have been sort of mind-blowing to kids at the time. Oh, look at this. This radar stuff we have now. Wow. That's it. On the button, Doc. Satisfactory. Most satisfactory. He said it. To Beaker, is that all there is to it? Yeah, what do you mean, you little pipsqueak? I invented a whole box and, and another bigger box, and you say, is that all there is to it? Oh, put you back in your cupboard. Yes, here we go. Here's the uh, second bout of supercar stock footage flying. Well, I can't even be sure that this is all stock footage. Uh, I suspect some of this only appears in this episode. Again, more lovely non-Barry Gray stuff. Very dramatic, considering there's not really much happening at this point. Bum, 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 bum. Well, friend Zarin, <laughs> and what do you think of that? <laughs> He's so proud of himself for having got Very this box. Easy. Good, Master Spy. You had no trouble. <laughs> no, in fact, a fool called Beaker gave me a bonus. <laughs> and they are playing it this episode as if this is the very first time that Master Spy and Zarin have, have any idea of where the supercar team is. Which, okay, if they were going to show this episode much earlier than the other Master Spy and Zarin ones, that would make sense, but, oh, I love this music. I'd, I'd love to get some of this this library music um, released somehow. I don't know where it resides. It must exist somewhere. Again, I suspect it's somewhere in the the Edwin Astley archive. Looks like I'm still on course. Okay, Mike. It's up to you, but don't take any chances. Oh, saw the uh, the shadow of a puppeteer or a puppet um, cross thingy just then. That is more interesting. Oh, is it the plans to supercar that were in the suitcase? That would would explain why he's he's so pleased with himself. He didn't get the real thing, but he got plans. More stock footage. <laughs> Now, I love me some stock footage of Supercar Flying, but I suspect this episode may have been underrunning just a teeny little bit. Again, it's one thing you get with the Anderson shows for pretty much all of them, up to, to Terrorhawks, really. When you have the, the same bits of music recurring over and over and over again, you do get used to them, you do enjoy them. And I find I do with this show that that library music. It's just as much a part of the show as, as the Barry Gray stuff. Yeah, the overshoot. Yes. Well, they're elementary, my dear fellow. Hmm. When you are over the target, the trace line becomes a dot. 
as you yes. Mm, uh, as any child in 2023 uh, would be able to tell you. What are you going to do when you find Master Spy, mm. Mike? I, I, I can't judge this by by contemporary standards. That's not fair. I can't even judge it, as I said, by by Thunderbird standards. It's it's just so early days, and this stuff would have been would have been new and uh, maybe even you know mind blowing to kids in the 60s. I'm cutting horizontal. It oh, that's meant to be a city. Now stationary. Nice try. Nice try. It's not quite as bad as that time we saw a city. Oh, it's a black piece of card with some pinholes in it. Oh, yeah, it's not quite as bad as that time we saw a similar shot in Space 1999, 15 years later. But that is quite... I don't know, I suppose on a, a small screen in the 60s, you might have just about got away with that. Yes, this is where they, the Supercar team discover Master Spy's base. Is it a, a skyscraper in New York that he, he hides out in? You okay, Mike? Sure. I think I've been somebody's TV aerial, though. So friends are Yes, I was expecting to see the full um, skyscraper rooftop set that would be in later episodes, like Supercar Take One. But anywho, Mike's there. <laughs> He's come strolling into the place. What are you doing here? I just love it. I find it so, so sweet and so comical that our heroes and villains in this show can just stroll in and out of each other's homes and just, you know, hi, what are you doing here? I just came back to, to get our stuff. But perhaps you are so clever you can tell why I should let you take back the plans. Mm. Just like that. Sure, this is why. Pilot to console. I'm in room 565 Skelton Building, East 49th Street. Oh, it's Skelton Building. No, yeah, I wonder if they kept that consistent. Because I remember we see them in a, in a similar room, both in the first season and the second season. There will be another time, Mr. Mercury. Anyway, you wouldn't really want supercar here. The parking space is mighty limited. <laughs> I'm just going to leave now. Uh, not through the door. I don't know how I'm getting out of the building, um, and I'm going to assume you won't shoot me in the back because this isn't that kind of show. No apparatus which will transmit both homing signals and the human voice. So, you know that, Professor. I know it. Dr. Beaker knows it. It's too bad Master Spy didn't know it too. Ah. Okay. We ended with almost a bit of uh, old-fashioned sitcom music there. Again, that's a, a, as Popkiss said there, I can't, I can't even conceive of a device that can act as both a homing device and a microphone. It's like now, um, you know, we have them. They are called mobile phones. But anywho, that was the tracking of Master Spy. And I think it sums up a lot of why I, I like this show so much. Um, despite me saying, you know, this is very old fashioned. I don't mean that in a negative way. I find it all quite endearing the way this, this show is so technical and so so mindful of creating a detailed world for, for this vehicle and, and the characters and the things that they do. But I also just love how, how casual the, the hero and villain side of it all is. It's just, you know, everyone strolling in and out of each other's lives. No big deal. Ah, it's beautiful stuff. Love a bit of supercar. Love the tracking of Master Spy. 
Oh, supercar. Mm. Well done, Roland. Good choice. I like supercar. You didn't actually choose it. You no, didn't I know. Have you pressed the button. So you had something to do with it. I've just thought if you take the first letter from supercar, yes. take away, you get Upercar, which has got yes. quite a nice ring to it. But actually, my favourite, if you were to take all the Jerry Anderson series, remove the first letter from its name yes. to be left with another title yes. that made sense, yes. what would you choose? I'll tell you what my favourite is. Does it have to be yours? I'll tell you. No. Judge one of my favourite. Go on. Ooh, Captain Scarlet. I was just thinking that. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Captain Scarlet. Yeah. It works, doesn't it? Yeah. Bit, oh, like bit better than Uber Car. Yeah, yeah Uber, Doesn't uh, work. Mm. But Uber Car doesn't work. Mm. No, none of them mm. work really otherwise. Thunderbirds. Eyeball XL5. Yeah. I mean, we're really scraping the barrel <laughs> we here. Are a bit, aren't we are, yeah. O90. No. O90. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> FO. <laughs> well, anyway, on that note. <laughs> let's leave that there. Chris will be back next week, of course, uh, with uh, another wonderful randomizer. We might even get Roland to press the button again as he's passing. He'll be joining us for the second part of his interview on next week's. Oh, Jamie, I don't, I don't feel very well. Oh, no. Uh, I think. I think this. I oh think goodness I'm, me! I think I've got an illness. What could be happening? I think I've got radiation poisoning. Oh, you should have taken oh, those radiation mints. Maybe I won't survive till oh, the next podcast. That would be terrible, wouldn't it? Bye. Are you still here? Gosh, I mean, the acting, yeah, we really should be paying you for, for, I keep for the acting. You, uh, equity minimum, that's all I'm asking yes. for a performance like that. For a, a performance yeah, like yeah. that. So anyway, that's our, that's our peril, you know, our, our, that's our cliffhanger. That's yeah. our season finale, season done. one. We'll, we'll pick it up it. season two next week from 271 onwards. Yes. Yeah, as long as they don't watch this bit, because obviously they can tell that I'm that's absolutely fine. That's ruined it. And it was only acting. Yeah. yeah. It's good only it. acting. Only acting, dear boy. <laughs> Incredibly impressive. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to be cancelled for your uh, oh, no. removing you no. from UFO. No. Gosh, more peril. I don't think I can take it anymore. Oh. See you for season two. Maybe. <sighs> Who knows? Bye. Stay well. That was an Anderson Entertainment production. <laughs>